We all know a round of applause doesn't do justice to your service. But I hope that each of you know that behind those claps, behind that applause, is grateful hearts for each and every one of you. So sincerely thank you and, um, and also for your families who have also sacrificed while there's been deployments or boot camps or transitions and moves. That's a, that's a big toll on spouses and kids and parents and, and families as well. So we extend our gratitude to them as well. Let's join in a prayer. Almighty God, we are grateful for the men and women who have served, who continue to serve our country. Lord, they show us what it means to sacrifice, what it means to live for something greater than themselves, what it means to really serve. And so we lift them up to you. We give you thanks for their lives, for their service, for their example. And Lord, in prayer, we ask for your continued prayer for those who are serving right now all around the world. Lord, they model for us all qualities of discipline, of sacrifice, of honor, of commitment. All those things are things that you have called each of us to, to exemplify in our own lives as your disciples. So Lord, may your spirit be among each of us now as we look to your word for truth and understanding. And may our hearts be softened and made ready and willing to be taught and to be changed by your spirit. Lord, give us a greater desire to live according to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the fourth and final Sunday that we're going to focus on the story of King Josiah. So I hope you you know this story uh, after this Sunday. Uh, to refresh our minds just a bit, I just want to quickly look at, again, at the timeline of Josiah's life, taken from both Second Kings and Second Chronicles, kind of sandwiching them together. If you want to read about Josiah, you can go to either place, but there is a l- some variations. And so we know that when Josiah was just eight years old, he became king of Judah. And we're like, wow, an eight-year-old. You know, that's, that's pretty impressive. But I think what's more impressive is what Second Chronicles tells us that at 16 years old, his eighth year of reigning, tells us that he began to seek God. We know that he probably didn't have all the answers, he didn't have everything figured out, but he began to seek God, he began to feel the call of God upon his heart. And so in the 12th year of his reign, when he was about 20 years old, so four years later, he began to purify Judah and the nation and the surrounding area. And then about six years after that, in the 18th year of his reign, making him 26 years old or so, he begins also, or he continues to purify the land of idol worship, but he also begins repairs and and cleaning up of the temple. And while they're cleaning the temple, the book of the law is discovered. It's found once again. And this led to this great awakening, so to say, in King Josiah's heart. And through that celebrates the Passover, which is what we're going to focus on today. And then we know through the text that uh, he reigns for 31 years, so dies around 39 years old or so. Um, And so we know, I think it's just interesting when we take the Bible, you know, we can read about the characters, but we can place them in history, in time. We know that Josiah reigned from about 640 B.C. to 609 B.C., which is not long before the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. Well, 
As I mentioned, our, our text today is going to highlight the Passover celebration that Josiah led. And 2 Kings uh, mentions the Passover celebration, but it just mentions it in, in brevity. It, it's, it's only mentioned it in, in the subject of three verses. Whereas 2 Chronicles really kind of pulls out a lot more of the details of this Passover uh, celebration in chapter 35. So we're going to look at 2 Chronicles today. And it's a little lengthy, stay with me, but it's, it's a narrative. You just follow along. And I did skip one little part just to save at least a little bit of space and time. But let's listen now to this observance of the Passover and uh, how Josiah and the nation uh, came together to do this. So 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verses 1 through 19. Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. He said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, built. You need no longer carry it on your shoulders. So at some point, the ark of God had been removed from the temple. We don't really know why. Maybe a previous king needed room for idols or other things that was happening. But Josiah restored the ark to its proper place to honor God. Uh, Continuing. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Make preparations by your ancestral houses, by your divisions, following the written directions of King David of Israel and the written directions of his son Solomon. Take position in the holy place according to the groupings of the ancestral houses of your kindred, the people, and let there be Levites for each division of an ancestral house. Slaughter the Passover lamb, sanctify yourselves, and on behalf of your kindred make preparations acting according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Then Josiah contributed to the people. As Passover offerings for all that were present, lambs and kids from the flock to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bulls, these were from the king's possessions. His officials contributed willingly to the people, to the priests, and to the Levites. Skipping to verse 10. When the service had been prepared for, the priest stood in their place, And the Levites and their divisions, according to the king's command, they slaughtered the Passover lamb, and the priests dashed the blood they received from them, while the Levites did the skinning. They set aside the burnt offerings so that they might distribute them according to the groupings of the ancestral houses of the people to offer to the Lord, as it is written in the book of Moses. And they did the same with the bulls. They roasted the Passover lamb with fire according to the ordinance, and they boiled the holy offerings in pots and cauldrons and in pans and carried them quickly to all the people. Afterward, they made preparations for themselves and for the priests. Because the priests, uh, the descendants of Aaron, were occupied in offering the burnt offerings, the fat parts, until night. So the Levites made preparations for themselves and for the priests and the descendants of Aaron. The singers, so choir, this is, this is where you could have a part in this if you were back in this time. The singers, the descendants of Asaph, were in their place according to the command of David and of Asaph and of Haman and of the king's seer, Jeduthun. The gatekeepers, so this might be like the ushers and the greeters out there. So the gatekeepers, they had a part in this, were at each gate 
They did not need to interrupt their service for their kindred, the Levites, made preparations for them. Last bit. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. The people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the festival of the unleavened bread seven days. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah, by the priests and the Levites, by all Judah and Israel who were present, and by the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Went into detail on that, didn't it? All the directions. And and if you noticed how many times it kind of repeated according to the ordinances of, of, of David or of Samuel. They followed the commands as God wanted them to, to honor God in that way. This Passover that Josiah did was a pretty big deal. So much so that, you know, nearly this whole chapter, chapter 35, is dedicated to it in in the details of it. And so, first I thought just briefly, we're not going to hit, you know, the the major kind of deep points of it, but overview points, what is the Passover? What's its origins, and why did it start? Why was it supposed to happen? So just the high points. We know that the origin of the Passover, you have to flip all the way back to Exodus chapter 12 when God delivered the Israelites from, the, uh, from Egyptian slavery. So you remember the, the ten plagues and the tenth plague being the plague upon the firstborn and God instructed the Israelites to take a lamb without blemish or defect and to slaughter it and to take its blood and to uh, put it around the doorframe to their house. So when the Spirit of God came in judgment upon Egypt, God would pass over that house, that, that those inside that house would be delivered, would have life. And God said, in, 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 while he's giving this command of what they should do, God tells them that this is going to be a significant moment. We see this in verse 14. It says, This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. So there's a few things about Passover we need to know. First, Passover was a day of remembrance for God's deliverance. Oh, that rhyme. I didn't, I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but it rhymes. It works. The Passover was a day of remembrance for God's deliverance. It's a day that we are called to remember to know that God is good and there's a a quote that's uh, said often in the Bible where God says I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt remember what I've done and so the Passover is a day of remembrance and the Passover is a response to God's goodness the reason why they were to observe the Passover is because God was good to them God delivered them. It wasn't that they were trying to do this thing in order to merit God's favor. They, were do, they would perform the Passover out of a response because of what God had already done for them. So it's a day of remembrance. It's a response. And it's a ritual recommitment 
to the Lord. It's something that they were called to do every year, to recommit themselves every year to the Lord, to say, God, in doing this, I belong to you. I am saved by grace. There's a a little helpful footnote in the ES Study Bible which says, the Passover was the most significant pilgrimage festival in the post-exilic communion for reaffirming their identity and vocation as God's people. Meaning that when the people celebrated the Passover, they said once again, God, we are yours. And God, you have called us to something and we are committing ourselves to you. Fourth thing that the Passover was, it was a community event. No one was supposed to hole up by themselves and just do it on their own. This was a community-wide event and a nationwide event where people came together to worship together, to give thanks together, to remember and to respond together. It's a community event. And the last thing that the Passover is, it's a celebration. It's not something that they were supposed to do just begrudgingly. This was a call to celebrate. In a lot of ways... And in and, and, and the kind of our Reformed tradition, we believe that there's two sacraments in the Old Testament, just like there's two sacraments for us in the New Testament. And one of the sacraments of the Old Testament was the Passover. But through Christ in the New Testament church, that sacrament is fulfilled, and instead we observe the Lord's Supper. There's so many kind of in-depth, it's a sermon for another day, but there's so many in-depth parallels between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. It's a day of remembrance. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. It's a response to God's goodness because of Christ's sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body. We respond because of God's love. When we take it, we recommit ourselves to the Lord. We take it together. It's a community event. We don't just take this on our, by ourselves. We take this as a community. And it's a celebration. This is the Lord's table where all who put their trust in Christ are called to come and eat at this table. It's the joyful feast of the people of God. So Passover's a number of things, but it's a celebration. Now, we've got a couple celebrations coming up in our calendar, right? I, I hope you know, you know that it's November now. That happened. And we have Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas coming up. So who's already started to make plans for Thanksgiving? Okay. I, I was, at first, no one, I was like, surely people have started making plans. Yes, I know you've made plans. Whether you haven't maybe cooked the turkey yet, but you at least you know, know where you're going, who's going where, things like that. Or maybe you don't know, but many do. You know, celebrations like that, they don't just happen, right? There's a few things that goes into Thanksgiving dinner. I didn't know this so much when I was a kid. You know, when I went to my grandparents' house for Thanksgiving, you know, I'd hang out with my cousins and play. And then when it was time to eat, I just ate. You get a little older and it's like, oh, you actually have to cook this stuff. You actually have to help. You have to set the table. You have to prepare. You have to do all this. There's a lot of work, Celebrations don't just happen. And so just like with our celebrations, the Passover was something that didn't just magically happen. It required planning, preparation, 
So I'm sure, you know, the people of Israel, they had committee groups too, just like we do. They were probably good Presbyterians back then, had plenty of committees for this group to do this and this group to do this and this group to do that. Maybe they had family meetings, you know, you're handling this responsibility, you're cooking that, you're doing this. So there was planning, lots of preparation. But then that planning is kind of useless if there's no action, right? There's no follow through. So there's, with the Passover, there's work involved. There's effort you know, there's different jobs. As we saw in the, the passage that I read from Second Chronicles, you know, Josiah had a role. But also the priest had roles. The Levites had roles. The singers had roles. The gatekeepers had roles. The people had roles. Everyone had a responsibility in that celebration. The Passover also required a cost. I don't know if you caught how many... Uh, animals were brought, and that is a big number. That cost something, right? Especially in that day and age, this was their livelihood. You know, animals and farming, like that was their livelihood back then. And so think about the cost, the investment, the money, the time, the energy that goes into all of that so that they could celebrate together in faith. And then the last thing I mentioned this a bit ago the Passover required a community, required people coming together to worship and honor God together. So let's, let's think about Josiah's Passover. So we kind of talked about a snapshot view of just Passover in general. Now let's consider the Passover that Josiah led. And for us to really understand this Passover, it's important that we not only think about the details of what happened at that event, but what led right up to that event? So again, a little bit of review, but I think it's really important for us this morning because we can't separate the, the result from the heart, right? From the intent, from the motivation of it all. So in chapter 34, the book of the law is found. It's read to Josiah. And as he's hearing the words, it has a deep and profound effect on him. He hears the words of God, and it compels him to have a response. Actually, a sequence of responses. So I just want us to consider a few of these responses. The first response that I see from Josiah after he hears the word of God was a response of humility. Josiah felt such a sense of grief and despair because of the neglect of God's word that the text tells us that he tore his robes and he humbled himself before the Lord. His first response came from his inner self. His first response came from his heart. That's where the motivation for everything else that's to follow comes from. It comes from his heart. Josiah wasn't just going through the motions with this event, with this Passover, with this thing that they were called to do year after year. He went through it with a heart of true faith, of true belief. And I believe that Josiah had an awakening of sorts in his life, an awakening to the majesty of God. He hears the words of God, and he sees and he understands more clearly the transcendence of God, the goodness of God. The greatness of God. And he had such a sense of deep personal conviction that he realizes that he, both he 
and the nation that he's leading had not been living up to the commands and the calling of God upon their lives. And so his call that God placed on his life was a call to confession, to repentance. So Josiah's response, again, it starts with his heart, it starts with humility, but his humility leads to God's exaltation. And so his next response, and we see in 2 Chronicles 34, kind of verses 29 through 32, his next response was commitment. So he humbles himself before the Lord. But then remember, he, he gathered the elders. He gathered the priests. He gathered all the people of Judah, both great and small, the text tells us, to read the words of the book of the covenant to them. Basically, he's saying there's no person too important or there's no person too unimportant not to hear these words because these words are too important to neglect anyone from hearing it. And what I love about this part in 2 Chronicles 34 is that Josiah gives us a great picture of what leadership looks like, or at least good leadership, what good leadership looks like. Because great leadership, whether it's on a team, sports team, or in a business, or maybe within your home, within your families, great leadership begins by looking inward and realizing what you need to do to change first. And that's what Josiah does. He gathers the elders, he gathers the priests, he gathers all the people, and he stands in front of them, and it says that the king stood in his place and that he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, keeping his commandments, his decrees, and his statutes with all of his, that's Josiah's heart, with all of Josiah's soul, and to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Josiah doesn't stand in front of them and say, you know what, I'm king, I can do what I want, but y'all need to do this. This is for y'all to do. He doesn't call over the priest and say, look, all this kind of religious stuff, that's kind of y'all's area. Y'all need to fix this. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't go on a Facebook rant about how terrible the previous kings were and what he inherited. He doesn't point the finger at others. He doesn't blame the society. He doesn't say it's someone else's problem. He takes ownership for himself and ownership for his responsibility. And he holds himself accountable. And so he himself, before anyone else, he stands up in front of everyone. And he makes this public declaration of faith. And he pledges himself and commits himself to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul. And he says, I'm I'm just kind of imagining what he's saying. It's not actually not in the text. But I think what he's saying is, you know, I might be king here. But God is my king. I serve him. I'm committed to him. You know, as a leader, doing something like that requires humility. It requires honesty and it requires courage. That's true leadership, whether it's in our families, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's sports teams, whatever we're doing. Humility, honesty, and courage. That's leading by example. That's what it means to lead from the front lines. And Josiah's commitment, his leading by example, inspired others to pledge themselves to the Lord. As we see in verse 32, 
And so Josiah and the community together, they pledged themselves and they committed themselves to the Lord. And they make this declaration together, basically saying, God, we choose your ways. Not our ways any longer. We choose your ways. We're striving after you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Our desire this day is to please you. So Josiah's response begins with humility, goes to commitment, and his next response is to celebrate. That's what we see in the Passover. They're observing the Passover. It's not done out of obligation, but it's done in celebration. It's not just because, oh, the book says we have to do this. It's because we want to do this because God is good. It's a response to God's goodness. It flows from a gratitude of a heart set on worship that realizes that God is God and that we are not. It's a result of a heart that is committed to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so Josiah and the people had this awakening to the majesty and the goodness of God through the word of God. And it led them to worship God and to commit their their lives to the Lord. It was a celebration, really, of their faith. It wasn't just a celebration for the sake of celebration. It wasn't just, you know, putting up the Christmas trees and the lights and, okay, that's fun and festive. It was a celebration of their faith in God. And they committed themselves to the Lord to walk in the newness and the fullness of life because they had found a better way. They had done other things. They had gone other ways, but they had found a better way It wasn't the idols. It wasn't the lesser things. It wasn't the distractions. It was on the God and the creator of all things. Friends, when we come to the end of ourselves, I think like Josiah did, when we find that, you know what, it's better to live for the glory of God. And there is joy in that. That is a call to celebrate our faith. And so for us today, I think, You know, when we look at the news, it's, I won't speak for you, I'll speak for me. You know, I often find myself watching the news or scrolling through Facebook and I just feel like I just want to shake my head in disappointment or disbelief or just frustration about our modern day culture sometimes. I think about just the last three years, I mean, think about all the issues that have polarized our country. Just over the last three years, it's really pretty overwhelming. Some things for good, a lot of things not so good. And it can bring us just this whole host of emotions, anger, disbelief, uh, disappointment, whatever it might be. But you know, I was thinking about this. I guess we really shouldn't be surprised that a lost and broken and sinful world acts lost and broken and sinful. Why should that surprise us? We should basically expect that. What should surprise us is that when we as believers fail to represent God in that world, that's what should surprise us. We know that the world is lost and broken, but it needs a ray of light It needs to know that there is a better way, and that way is Christ. 
That way is found in Jesus. And so if our desire is for a revival out there, which I hope it is, I hope it is for for our lives, I hope that we pray for revival out there. But if we hope for that out there, friends, it has to start in here. And I mean that within the, the church at large, but also mean that, yes, in these walls. And I mean that in here, in my life, and in your life. If we hope for a revival out there, it has to start first in here. And just like Josiah, it begins for each of us with a response to what God has already done for us. It's a conviction and an acknowledgement of our own sin. And it's a renewed commitment that we make to the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I hope today... It's about a celebration of our faith. Our faith in Christ is a gift of God. The only thing that we bring to that deal is our sin. Christ secures for us everything that we need in this life and in the life to come. And God has called us to commit ourselves to love him and to serve him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to be that light into a lost and broken world Because it needs it. It needs God's light. It needs Jesus. So if our desire truly is for revival out there, it's got to start in here. Because God has called us to a newness of life and to a fullness of life in his spirit. And so my prayer for us is that we would respond to that call with joyful praise. Before us is uh, what's right now an empty basket. What you 